Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. My, oh, my, we have a lot today. We are in a state of near national quarantine at this point. There's a lot of new guidance out there, more information, more action being taken by the government. Today, we're going to talk about the clampdown at the border, the moving of tax day officially from April 15th to July 15th, the waiving of interest on student loans, California and New York in a state of lockdown. A lot of measures coming together here. People rising uh, in terms of their anxiety. And there's a real sense that we have a limited clock here, not just to get ahead of the virus so it doesn't overwhelm our medical system, but also so that we have an economy to bring back. We don't want to have to try to bring it back from the dead. We just want to unleash the economy, right? We, but we can't allow it to be completely annihilated. And the thinking has now started to change. What I've been telling you in recent days, that this cannot be 18 months. We don't have 18 months of basic uh, lockdown across the country for businesses and for the economy. We can't do it. We don't even really have three months. We might have, from when I'm talking to you right now, 30 days to figure out something that at least allows business to continue. People will not accept their livelihoods, their their life savings, all that they've built and created to be destroyed because the government says this is what is necessary. They just won't do it. So that's where we are right now, trying to figure out the reality um, of what the timeline is. And I'll give you updates on what's going on in New York and in California, the two most populous states. Well, actually, no. Is New York more populous than Texas? Close. Uh, Two of the most populous states. California is certainly number one. And uh, then I'll I'll tell you what the administration is doing. We also have some senators that have come up for scrutiny because uh, they may have sold one or two of them, it seems, in particular, may have sold a lot of stock right after getting a highly sensitive classified briefing for the Senate Intelligence Committee about just how bad uh, just how bad COVID-19 really was. So, yeah, that's a big problem. Anyone who did that, I don't care what party, I don't care how necessary they are for one agenda or another. If you went into a highly classified briefing as an official of the United States government came out And we're telling the American people we're all going to be fine. And you were selling all of your stock holdings. And even in one case, one of the senators allegedly bought uh, some pretty substantial pieces of a telecommuting company. Just, oh, wow, gee, if everyone has to go on national lockdown, what kind of companies might actually do very well during that process? If you're somebody who did that, you should uh, lose your job. And if applicable, you should face criminal prosecution under insider trading laws. I don't care what party. I don't care if you work in the White House. I don't care what it's if you are guilty of that activity, you need to be punished because people have lost their 401ks down 30, 40 percent. I'm down substantially in the stock market. Look, I told you that I was buying into America even after things, even after the first big sell off down to about twenty five thousand on the Dow. I was like, I'm going to invest more money in America. I believe in America. Well, guess what? I've lost money since then. But I haven't sold anything. So if you haven't sold, you haven't really lost anything. But I believe in America. I believe in us. I'm not not rooting against us. I'm not shorting the market. None of that crap going on over here. Okay. So 
I think in particular leadership that engages in that kind of dishonest and really predatory behavior, just so greedy and unseemly and grotesque. Uh, we'll get into the specifics on that one later on. But first, uh, I wanted to w take you through, you know, the president is doing these press conferences every day with his entire uh, task force on COVID-19. And, you know, he's, by the way, I think you're calling COVID-19, people say called Wuhan virus. I, I, I'm fine with calling Wuhan virus, and I will sometimes. I don't think we should call it the Chinese virus just because that's nonspecific in a way. Now, Spanish flu you might bring up, but Spanish flu is really a historical misnomer. It did not start in Spain. It actually was in a lot of places before it was in Spain. But because some of the victorious countries after the First World War or at the end of the First World War uh, were in a position to write the narrative, they were like, yeah, it's a Spanish flu. But it, it, they believe it might have started. Well, they're not sure, but they think that the first places that it was seen might have actually been a U.S. military base here. But it probably came from Asia. Anyway, I, I'm fine with Wuhan virus. Chinese virus uh, is too nonspecific to call it a virus from China or to say it is a Chinese virus. That's just a fact. That's just true. But Wuhan virus for me, you know, we call it Ebola. We don't call it, you know, it's Ebola virus. It's not, you know, sub-Saharan Africa virus. So I think calling it Wuhan virus makes sense. Um, but also you'll hear me call it COVID-19 just because it feels a little bit more like a, something out of a bad, scary end of the world science fiction thing. And it's the specific scientific name for the disease. So I'll call it both is what I'm saying. You'll hear me go back and forth. Wuhan virus and COVID-19. Now, the president is trying to hold this all together. This is an unprecedented challenge. This is harder than anything any president has faced uh, since 9-11. And I would say that in many ways, this is actually uh, scarier than 9-11. 9-11 um, was not going to completely destroy the U.S. economy unless the terrorists were able to continue pulling off those kinds of mass casualty attacks. And we had some idea of who the enemy was and how to get to them. And they were human beings, not a virus. So we know how to deal with human beings. So I think that uh, this is even tougher, that, that Trump has been dealt an even more difficult hand. Remember, Bush came into office with a terrorist attack that there's no way he could have really been able to thwart based on the problems within the system and everything else, and then finished office after eight years with a financial crisis that was decades in the making because of government policy around housing and the... Uh, use of, of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and then the securitization of all this by greedy Wall Street. Um, it's not like Trump. I mean, it's not like Bush was the one that was responsible for all that. So he got a bad hand. He got a bad hand. Remember, Obama spent four years when he came into office just blaming Bush and the media was like, yeah, that seems right. Let, let him blame Bush. That's fine. Trump has the hardest task of any president since uh, World War Two. That's I think that's where I would put this right now. This is this is up there with we just got bombed uh, at Pearl Harbor and the Nazis have allied with the with the Japanese. Now, a lot of you would say, oh, Buck, well, we were definitely going to win that war. Uh, there are a lot of things that could have changed, could have gone differently, and we would have been in a different situation with that war. And God bless our men in uniform who actually showed up and won that fight for us and took heavy mass casualties, as we know, in the process. All right. But back to the news of the day here and this press conference um the the glimmer the, the biggest glimmer of hope that we have right now not that we're going to get through this but we don't know how bad it's going to be we don't know how much this is going to put us on our back heels how much this is going to be painful for us 
We're going to take what kind of economic losses. We're going to take what kind of casualties, deaths from this. That's what remains to be seen. Remember, even the Spanish flu was worse than this, and our healthcare system was a fraction of the capabilities that it is right now. And the Spanish flu of an epidemic of 1918 was followed by the roaring 20s. Now, I know we went to a massive stock market crash in 1929, but the point being, it's not like after the Spanish flu, America was some desolate wasteland and nobody was able to get any food or do any business, and we lost you know, a few million people, right? So there's, there's a, a historical analogy here that is terrifying on the one hand, but also it's a much worse case scenario than what we really face. And, and it shows us that with a much better medical uh, and healthcare system now, we're going to be in better shape. All right. But we came out of that. So we're definitely going to come out of this. It's a question of how painful it's going to be. Uh, now, the president has brought up um, this reality of chloroquine and the possibility that chloroquine, the anti, anti-malaria drug that I've told you about yesterday, uh, that this may be a successful treatment. We just don't know. And we get caught in this hopefulness, but we don't want hopefulness to get too far. We don't want to be in a position where we feel like uh, we expect this to work and that it doesn't because that will that will crush our spirit in and of itself. As I said, don't celebrate too early. Well, here's the president trying to speak about ramping up production, getting us to a point where we have the equipment we need. I'm going to get more into equipment, right? Right now, it's like we've turned on the arsenal of American democracy against this virus. That's where we are. People are looking at some of the major companies out there that are saying that they're going to help with this. GM, General Motors, Ford Motor Corporation, Tesla. They're saying that they will, if need be, they will just flip production and start making ventilators. And, you know, God bless them. If they, they turn around those assembly lines and all of a sudden they're just churning out ventilators, we're, we're going to see some real help, real assistance. But it's a race against time, too, right? Uh, the Ford Motor Company in World War II uh, turned out bombers to defeat the Nazis. I mentioned that to you, and that's something. That's where this, this arsenal of democracy comment comes from. So leveraging our incredible private sector is going to be key in defeating this thing. Trump spoke about what we're trying to do here. Here's what the president had to say on this. We're using it now to tell businesses that need to make ventilators, masks, respirators. For certain uh, things that we need, including including some of the very important emergency. I would say ventilators, probably more masks uh, to a large extent. We have millions of masks which are coming and which will be distributed to the states. The states are having a hard time getting them. So we uh, we're using the act. The act is very good for things like this. We have millions of masks that we've ordered. They will be here soon. We're having them shipped directly to states. So you said you would only you were signing this, but not invoking it. This is what you said yesterday and that you would only do so in a worst case scenario. So are we now Less, in a worst case scenario? Uh, we we need no, it's no different other than we need certain equipment that the states are unable to get by themselves. So we're invoking it to use the power of the federal government to help the states get things that they need, like the masks, like the ventilators. So the president is saying, look, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And OK, fair question to ask this, although now the press is doing this whole. Is this the worst case scenario? Is this the worst case scenario? You can tell 
They're they're looking right now when the country is psychologically at its most vulnerable, really, because we know the onslaught of this virus is upon us. It, we're just beginning to see, you know, large numbers, over 10,000 confirmed cases in the United States. Uh, I mean, I have the the numbers from New York City alone this morning were over 4,000 in New York City positive and new cases in the last 24 hours, almost 2,000 of those. So the testing ramp up means there's a whole lot more. I'm sorry, you have 7,000 cases in New York State at this point. Look, we're going to have tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of positive corona cases in the United States over the next few months, maybe a few million. That's going to happen. There's almost no one that I've seen who says that that will not happen. But what's very important right now is that we do everything we can to make sure that as many of those people who get infected as possible recover quickly. Hopefully they will all have immunity. We don't know that yet, but that is the belief. And that's why we're ramping up all the facilities and materiel and putting all these preparations in place right now to bring down not just the curve of infection, but of hospitalization and death from this virus. That's what this fight is all about. We all have a stake in this. We all have loved ones. I do, you do, who are in the high risk category. Many of you listening yourselves, uh, you are cherished members, not just of Team Buck, but of the American community. And uh, we owe you everything we can do to keep you, if you're in a high risk category from this virus, as safe as we possibly can. You know, that mentality that our military has of, we, of, of they leave no one behind on the battlefield, we will leave no one behind on the battlefield against this virus. We're going to do everything we can to protect everyone we can. Now, that uh, same thing in war, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a zero casualty rate, but that's our mentality. That should be our approach. So I can appreciate that from where the, where the president's coming from. Uh, there are adults in the room. There are real people who are at the top of this a government response who are doing everything in their power. And there are some Democrats that fall into that category, too. And I do believe that, you know, the Democratic Party, by and large, is doing, you know, they're, they're hoping for the best outcome here possible. They're going to pounce on Trump, a lot of them. But at least for now, they are focused more, not all of them, but some of them, probably most of them, focused on this being better for the country uh, or, or being as minimal in terms of pain and loss as possible. So we're united in that. The press is still a disgrace. And we do have to spend some time explaining and working through what the heck is wrong with these people. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who were sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism, and uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast. I call it Comcast. Let me just ask for whom you work. Let me just say something. 
That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. Let's see what happens. Trump has gotten so much pushback from the press and from the Democrats for saying that the media are the enemy of the people. Right now, we face a crisis unlike anything in my lifetime. It is more frightening than 9-11. After 9-11, I was scared for a few days. And then I remember thinking, our, our team is going to go after the bad guys now. And it's going to be really, really, really tough for them. And then I joined up the CIA to try to help out as I could. So I've been, I remember the psychology then. And yeah, we were, we were worried. There were more mass casualty attacks planned. But I, I remember what it was like at that point in time for all of us trying to figure out what we could do in order to get back at those, at those evildoers, at the bad guys. I remember. And now I look at what's going on and we have to understand that there is no getting even with a virus. There is no retribution. There is only we are playing a massive game of defense. We are under siege from a pathogen. Now, you can still win when you're fighting against a pathogen, but you have to understand that this is even scarier in a lot of ways. So that's that's where this is right now. That's where we are as a country. What the heck are these journalists doing asking questions like people are scared? Like, why are what are you saying to them? Let's just understand. They've been jumping all over the president at a time of maximum anxiety and concern. Millions of people are losing their jobs. People are losing their businesses. They're losing their life savings. They're scared and they're scared for themselves and their family members. And there's reason for concern. I'm not pretending that there's anything but that as the truth here. And the president's been trying to take an optimistic view of it, trying to calm people down. And all they do is say, he lies. He lies. He's a bad guy. Makes you turn around and say, well, hold on a second. When he's trying to calm us down, the media jumps on him and says that he's being dishonest. And then if he's not doing enough of that, they're asking questions in front of the whole country. Everyone's watching these press conferences. You know, what do you say to people who are scared? That's why the president's having these press conferences every day. You idiot, this moron at NBC. These, oh, I'm a journo at these uh, legacy media institutions. Honestly, the only people that I can think of in the country who deserve to get fired are those people. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's announcement is just the latest in a long line of bold, decisive actions the president has taken to protect Americans from the coronavirus spreading across our borders. In January, within two weeks of China's notifying WHO about the virus, and with only 45 cases in China, we began screening travelers from Wuhan. Then over time, as the outbreak evolved, the president restricted travel from China, Iran, and Europe. Our health experts say that these measures have been truly effective at slowing the virus's spread to our shores. Just think about this. Italy and the United States both saw their first travel-related case of coronavirus around the exact same time the last week of January. And yet we have had precious time to continue our work around vaccines, therapeutics, and other preparations while Italy has tragically been overwhelmed with critical patients for several weeks now. The president today is taking action to slow the spread of infectious disease via our border. Under Section 362 of the Public Health Service Act, 
the CDC is suspending the entry of certain persons into the United States because of the public health threat that their entry into the United States represents. This order applies to persons coming from Mexico and Canada who are seeking to enter the country illegally. Oh, wait a second. You mean that we're shutting down the southern and, in fact, northern border, U.S. border with Mexico and border with Canada, because there are reasons that the health experts are telling us we have to control our borders? So the health and safety of the American people can, in part, be dependent upon secure borders? I thought that borders were racist, because that's what the media had been telling me for the last three years. And then anybody who suggests that we shouldn't just allow anybody to show up and come in was a bad person. This was, this was the media monolith, the lib apparatus, the apparatchiks who work for our left-wing media, which is 90% of it, they were unified in this message. They were unified in continuing to make these claims about anybody who had the common sense to understand that we do, in fact, need secure borders. We do, in fact, need to be able to control who comes and goes from this country. Huh, here we are seeing that our side, those who believe in borders, correct. The other side, the media side, those who believe that you should just let anybody come into the country. Mm -mm. And this also now applies to anyone showing up and trying to use the old asylum scam, which now we, we know it was a scam because since Trump has set up the remain in Mexico policy, uh, since that happened, they've stopped coming in such large numbers. Oh, wait, I thought you were fleeing because of terror for your life, they claimed at the border where I went and talked to Border Patrol officers who told me over and over the same story, all of them, rank and file all the way up to the top of Border Patrol, that people were being coached, that they knew that the cartels were making money off of this, that it was all a big scam. We were being scammed. And the media, where were they on this? Kids in cages, kids in cages. That's what they would say. Well, okay, fine. We, we should keep families together. Trump decided to do that. What about the whole securing our borders part of this? Media seems so silent about that. Didn't have anything to say. Isn't that quite strange? Isn't that surprising? Well, it's not strange at all. We know they're a bunch of hacks. They're morons. And they love virtue signaling above all else. They want the other journos that they see in the green room or in the newsroom or at the cocktail party. And yes, there are fancy cocktail parties where they all hang out. I've been to a couple of them. It's a real thing. People lately have been like, oh, there's no such thing. Those people are idiots or they just never gotten invited to one. Uh, they, they want their peer journalists to like them and to think they're smart and they're part of the good people. Virtue signaling has overtaken journalism. It's the same reason why we have so many mainstream big platform journalists who are straight up doing the propaganda work of China for them right now. The Chinese government is responsible for erasing trillions of dollars of wealth. And at the end of this, will be responsible for likely tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths. Chinese directly, the Chinese government, not the Chinese people, I'll keep making that separation. So the jerks from Media Matters who watch the show, who try to catch me in, you know, something that they can pretend was what it was what I said when it wasn't or take something out of context. Um, no, the Chinese Communist Party is responsible for this. And the media parrots their propaganda and plays along with their games. And then they wonder why we don't trust them, why we don't think that they deserve our faith and trust. They don't. They flatly the media in this country should be, you know, just 
razed to the ground and restarted. I'm talking about the journalist media. And I'm hoping the digital era we live in now is a part of that. Those of you who listen to this show know that I'm accountable for every show that I do. You listen to me. You reach out to me directly. I don't get to pretend that there's some some newsroom that was making all these decisions for me. I'm accountable for what I say, the good, the bad, all of the in-between, everything. And you can trust me because I tell you where I'm coming from. And you know that I care about my reputation with all of you because I'm putting me on the line every day. What I say is what's going out over this show. I don't get to hide behind some uh, some legacy media institution and claim that, oh, well, this is just what someone told me, but I can't tell you who. And it was in the process and a committee decided this is all crap. It's all crap. But back to the border. This is an essential step that is being taken right now. And it's a step that I think will be very helpful in bringing down, flattening the curve, as we all say now. So that part of it, I, I think, is, is good. But keep in mind that the president and, and I'm, I'm trying to avoid getting too political, but there are politics that we have to discuss here. It is this president, President Trump, who has been saying all along that China is a problem, that our trade policy with China needs to change, that we need to bring more American domestic manufacturing back, that our energy sector needs to be completely unleashed and able to do what it can do, that the border needs to be secure for a whole bunch of reasons, that sovereignty demands a secure border, and that it's a national security interest of the American people. These are positions he took that were unpopular, not just with the psycho Democrats who are wrong on all these things, but won't change their minds on any of it, even though we're seeing now how wrong they've been. And not just recently, they've been wrong on this stuff for decades. But also we see that there have been Republicans who thought that they were oh so much smarter than Trump. They knew better than him and really were willing to mock him on all of this stuff and his instincts Despite, you know, Trump's lack of a, of a Ph.D. from the Kennedy School or you don't get a, I don't think you do Ph.D.s there. You can only do a master's, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Some fancy degree at one of these places, despite Trump not having that. Although he did go to Wharton, which no one ever brings up, which is one of the three best business schools in the world. Uh, despite all that, um, here we are. Right. Trump is right. They were wrong. And they're never going to admit that. But we should keep that in mind going forward, that this crisis is actually showing the reality of a lot of the major policy disputes that have been underway for years now. And then that brings me to, I, I mentioned this before, but the chloroquine, you know, this is, uh, this is that moment in time where I'm, I'm trying to temper my optimism with my natural skepticism and to be good at the job that I do, just like to be good as an intelligence officer before that, you've got to be skeptical, especially of things that you want to be true. This is what journalists never do. Journalists see something, ah, oh, that's the narrative. That's what I want to believe. That's what I think. Ah, and they, they jump on it right away. And that's why they're so wrong about all kinds of stuff. Sit here. They're so wrong about Jussie Smollett. They're so wrong about the Covington Catholic high school kids. They're so wrong about Kavanaugh, right? They, all these things, because they want these things to be true. And they don't understand that you have to take into account you, in your assessments of anything, when you desire that something is true, it affects your willingness to see it as true without the fundamental factual basis for that, without being objective in your assessment, balancing out what's real, what's not, what's true, what's not. 
Um, I, so I, I'm in a tough place right now on this myself because I want to believe that this really antique malaria medicine could be the answer to a prayer. And that is exactly what it would be if, in fact, it was useful. I mean, even just assume that this if this lessened the severity and duration of COVID-19 so that if you had to go to the hospital for trouble breathing, they put you on a ventilator, but you're more or less able to get out and be cured in four, five, six days instead of two to three weeks on the ventilator and maybe you don't make it out. That's a game changer in this process. And that is what the early indications have shown. But you just don't know. Maybe the virus is is a is a cagey adversary. You know, maybe this virus, there's different strains of it or only certain people's systems respond or maybe those early studies were a fluke. All of these things could be possible. We just we just fundamentally do not know right now. But you'll notice that the press is going to play a game here with the president where his desire to show some optimism in all of this will be used against him. And then at the moment that they can, they'll switch to, why are you being so pessimistic? People are scared, Mr. President, because they have no honesty or integrity even now. It reminds me of how the American left after 9-11 showed much of the country. Anybody who was paying attention, you saw the American left actually kind of hates America and wants to see it brought low and is not on our team. They want a new America. They want a fundamental transformation of the country that they would be in charge of. They don't love this America. There was a lot of the left that after 9-11, when we were burying our dead and just as a country trying to gather ourselves up for the fight ahead, we're seeing right now that a lot of the elite American left in the media and elsewhere, they can't put aside rooting against Trump to root for the country. They can't make that switch. They're not able to do it. They can't even put on their real journo hats and actually do what they claim to do for, what are we even talking about here, a few months, maybe? No, Trump hatred, Trump These They're sick, I mean, I, I don't mean COVID-19 sick, they're sick in the head, they've got a problem. They have become unwell and, and destabilized psychologically in the era of Trump, and they can't separate, separate out their emotions, their desire for validation, their need to be elevated over their fellow Americans who don't hold their haughty positions as elite leftists. Um, they, they, they can't stop this even now when the whole country faces cataclysm. They just won't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have millions of masks which are coming and which will be distributed to the states. The states are having a hard time getting them. So we uh, we're using the act. The act is very good for things like this. We have millions of masks that we've ordered. They will be here soon. We're having them shipped directly to states. All right. This is critical. Got to get those masks out. Got to have this happen right away because the the effect of our health care providers doctors, nurses, and all the rest, EMS, uh, if they get sick, who takes care of the already sick and who will take care of our sick healthcare providers? So we, we need to equip our healthcare army here, so to speak. You know, we need to, look, it is that Rumsfeldian thing where people have always misquoted Rumsfeld on this, where they said, oh, he just said, you know, you go to, army, you go to war with the army you have as if, as if it was just this dismissive, 
No, it was just a statement of the truth. And he said that after saying, we're ordering this, we're getting that, we're working on this, we're working on that, we're trying to get all these things together. And at the end, he's like, you know, you go to war with the army you have. You got you to do what you can with what you've got. And that's where we are. I mean, we're going to healthcare war here. We're going to war against a virus with the healthcare army we've got. And we're trying to get them the best weapons, the best tools, the best gear possible. But it is going to be a process. And it's going to require everybody who can do something doing as much as possible. I mean, I'm very pleased to see you have some of these stories where you have uh, people who have access to 3D printers, for example, who come up with ways to design a ventilator or a mask on a 3D printer. I believe they designed a piece for ventilator in Italy. And of course, a company with a patent on it in Italy has threatened to sue those who, you know, they, they, they might want to pull that suit away real fast before an angry mob forms outside the office of that company. Um, but the uh, the use of 3D printers here just for, I believe it was actually face shields and not masks, but there'll be masks too. Everyone who can make this stuff and can get it to our frontline healthcare providers need to do it because I'm hearing from healthcare providers who are scared. I'm hearing from healthcare providers who, the, who are they themselves worried about what happens when, you know, let's say you're a nurse and you're at a major metropolitan hospital anywhere in the country and your, your husband's out of work because of the shutdown, right? He's, I didn't mean that like he's out of work, but, you know, he's not working because of the shutdown. He's at home and you've got three kids and now you're trying to tend to patients and you get COVID-19. Now what happens? You go home, maybe infect your family. No, you go into isolation. Who's going to take care of the patients? Uh, they, they may reach a point where even, even patients who are uh, people who are healthcare providers who are positive for COVID-19 end up having to do some degree of work, even with masks on, because they're not going to know as they're doing this either. So, you know, it, it's just being a mess. If we can get our healthcare providers to a much higher level of efficiency in preventing the, them uh, from getting the virus, that would be an enormous benefit. So that's why ordering these masks and this equipment. And look, this is, you know, these are the times that try men's souls. There's a reason why that's such a timeless quote. We have people in this country who are true geniuses. We have titans of industry and technology, people that are wizards of, of commerce, and they need, uh, they need to be in a position here to do everything that they can. They need to be told how do they provide the assistance that they can as private individuals, as, as the private sector, to help right now with, our, with the healthcare system. Because it's gonna, it's gonna get very tough very quickly if we have major hospitals and other, and other uh, health providers who are getting a lot of their people sick. This is what happened in Italy, which compounded, right? You have a fast spread, old population in Italy, fast spread of the virus, doctors lacking protective equipment, doctors, nurses getting sick, more and more people coming into the system, not enough, not enough equip, uh, equipment to treat the people that are coming in, and also not enough doctors to use the equipment that they have because some of them, some um, of them are getting sick. So we have to prevent all that from happening. We, we are learning from the catastrophe of Italy's fight against this virus and hopefully implementing all those lessons for ourselves. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, before I uh, address uh, the efforts that we've been engaged in to push back against the Chinese virus, I want to assure the American people that, as President Trump just said, your State Department, your entire national security team is uh, staying focused on the other. Oh, my gosh. Good Lord. What will I ever do? I declare I have the vapors. I'm so upset. The Secretary of State just. Oh, he just called it the Chinese virus. Oh, no. Why is the media so invested in not referring to it as a Chinese virus? Fascinating question in and of itself. Because for one, you know that they're trying to make sure as much as possible that they leave open. This is the only way that Joe Biden becomes president, is if this is viewed by the public as a disaster for the Trump administration in terms of the Trump administration's handling of this. That's the only way they, they kind of recognize this, that, that Joe Biden is likely to become president. That's what the expectation really is. So now as we look at this, we can always remember that they're leaving that they're leaving those narrative pieces there to not just hammer day to day in some ways, but also for later on, they can return to it and say, Trump did a terrible job. When in reality, we don't know how good of a job Trump has done because it's not over. But so far, the president can only be called guilty of trying to be calming and optimistic in the early phases of this when he called for a ban on flights from China that I have a whole a whole thread on this here. Maybe I could even pull this up for you as as we go through this. I mean, this was completely remarkable. Um, People pulling together all of the different ways in which the media was covering, initially covering Trump's 131. So January 31st announcement of barring entry into the U.S. from China. Many in the scientific community, and I've been saying this to you on the show for a while, many people who are supposed uh, supposed to be our expert class, they were jumping on the president on this one. Uh, They hate Trump so much because scientists also have you know, a culture of, of Trump hatred that is mostly from the climate change issue. But there are others as well. Not all scientists, obviously. Dr. Anthony Fauci doesn't hate the president, but he also is a public servant. He just wants people to not get and die from terrible diseases. So thankfully, there are still some of those people left out there. Dr. Fauci went to my high school, by the way, Regis High School. I don't know if I mentioned that on the show yesterday or not. I meant to go Regis. That's right. Turning out some good people from Regis High School here in New York City. Here's some of the Uh, some of the way that the media covered this Trump administration restricts entry into the U.S. from China. The travel disruption sent shocks through the stock market and rattled industries that depend on the flow of goods and people between the world's two largest economies. Seems like a very negative take on it, doesn't it? Uh, Sent shockwaves through the stock market, rattled industries. Okay. Some public health and policy experts said the restrictions announced Friday, weeks after the virus was discovered in China, might not do as much officials hoped in containing the contagion. At this point, sharply uh, curtailing air air travel to and from China is more of an emotional or political reaction, 
said Dr. Michael Osterholm, an epidemiologist and director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. I don't know, Dr. Osterholm. Maybe when the New York Times comes for an anti-Trump quote, think twice about just playing into their game, because now all the big experts, Dr. Fauci and others, are going around saying that the reason we're not Italy right now, if you have to point to one reason why we are not in the situation of Italy where you have people that are being denied care and dying, that's where we are now. Rationing. Oh, you mean that the government doesn't just get to determine how much health care everybody gets? That there's a finite number of providers and a finite number of finite number of systems and healthcare equipment and it doesn't matter what you know the Bernie Sanders of the world everybody gets everything for free that's not how it works the reason that we aren't in the circumstance the terrible circumstance that Italy finds itself in right now is because in part and if you're pointing to one factor this more than anything else Donald Trump stopped the flow of of people from China into the United States. And yet you look at this, uh, you look at the way this was reported on at the time. Here you go. Here's, an, here's another example of the, this is the Washington Post, right when Trump announced limiting people uh, for the travel ban from China. Here's what the Washington Post wrote, right when it happened, right when it was announced. Even before U.S. officials announced such a drastic escalation in travel restrictions on Friday, China's foreign ministry criticized the United States for making unfriendly comments during the coronavirus outbreak and set a U.S. warning against travel to China went against recommendations made by the World Health Organization to not restrict travel or trade. Quote, in disregard of World Health Organization recommendation against travel restrictions, the U.S. went the opposite way, China's ministry spokesman said in an English language message. Where is its empathy? Oh, the journalists just gobbling up Chinese government propaganda and the World Health Organization getting it wrong, wrong, wrong in the early stages of this outbreak when it comes to defending the United States interests and our people. So just remember that as they try to run around and blame Trump for everything. The CDC testing failure was bad. It was the result of government regulation and bureaucracy and red tape that Trump had nothing to do with. And in fact, Trump has been running around slashing those uh, that red tape and that bureaucracy. That's what he has been up to. Uh, there's even more health experts warn tr uh, China travel ban will hinder coronavirus response. Uh, that was in, I think, BuzzFeed. So they just went around and found experts that that gave them an opportunity you know, Vox.com. The evidence on travel bans for diseases like coronavirus is clear. They don't work. Vox.com. Idiots. Wrong. 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 Experts. Wrong. Journalists. Wrong. So just remember that this is all from when Trump made that decision, which he was he was hit by all kinds of journalists and people, including, quote, experts for doing. And now everyone goes, wow, thousands of lives probably saved by that one decision. Those who say that, oh, it doesn't make any difference. They're not very good at math or wargaming anything out because the whole problem we have right now is too many infections too fast. So that there are some infections that are already spreading in this country doesn't mean that we should have taken the approach of well, let's just have even more infections coming in. It won't make a difference. It makes all the difference. But crazy libs don't care about any of that. It's all about anti-Trumpism. It's absurd. Even with our even with truly our lives and our economy in the balance. The most important thing for people whose lives are devoted to spreading information 
and holding you know, power accountable and all that other stuff they say. The most important thing they had was doing the dirty work of the Chinese Communist Party and the DNC. That was the motivation. And now we have back to Secretary of State Pompeo during the press conference today. Not only did he call it China, the China virus, and he's doing that very purposefully because he works on foreign policy and he knows what the Chinese are up to. He knows the nonsense that they're spreading, but people will believe it, the propaganda that they're using. Here is Pompeo on why it's important that we are accurate and the information that's out there about everything having to do with this virus, including where it came from, is truthful. Pretty diffused, unfortunately, um, but we've certainly seen it come from places like China and Russia and Iran, where there are coordinated efforts to uh, disparage uh, what America is doing and an activity to uh, to do all the things that President Trump has set in motion here. Now, other than what you're doing this morning, what are you doing to fight back? Lots of things, lots of work. One of the things we want to make sure is the American people go to trusted sources for that information. Um, but we've made clear, we've spoken to these countries directly that uh, we don't that they need to knock it off, that we don't approve of it, and then there are a handful of other the things we're engaged in to make sure that the right information is out there and accurate information is given. This, this idea uh, uh, of transparency and accurate information is very important. It's how we protect American people from something like this ever happening again. So there you have the Secretary of State saying, make sure you get your information from trusted sources. Make sure you go with news outlets that aren't trying to stoke fear and certainly don't trust state media in China. Uh, because the Chinese government, you know, we're always talking about how how the Chinese Communist Party plays the long game and they're they're so brilliant strategically. And there is some truth to them playing the long game. No question about that. And they're willing to be very deceptive, very dishonest, brutal and authoritarian. But they know that the long game right now for them does not look good. People's views of China going forward are going to change around the rest of the world and here at home. We no longer can trust a lot of critical manufacturing to China. We no longer can trust that the Chinese will be good partners with telling the world the truth about the viruses that keep coming out of China. This is what happens. SARS came out of China. COVID-19, coronavirus, this came out of Wuhan in China. It keeps happening. Now, finally, the whole world has to pay attention to it because we're all being affected by it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Got to say, the lockdown in New York is already getting very tiresome, but it's getting more extreme, too. Governor Cuomo here gave a press conference saying that while he's not calling this a shelter-in-place situation, he is, uh, he is declaring more... Uh, extreme measures for us to stay out of the workplace, for us to stay home. And this is uh, it's it's disconcerting. California is now on a state of lockdown. All of California, the whole state. Uh, it is a state of lockdown, I guess you could say. Gav- uh, Gavin Newsom announced that. And Eric Garcetti, who's the mayor out in California. And to all of our, our listeners out on uh, KEIB in Los Angeles, just want to let you guys know I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about all of our Team Buck, oh, look, all Americans, but certainly all the Team Buck all across the country. Um, but I know that, you know, in L.A. right now, you've got the similar situation with Garcetti that I do here in New York with de Blasio, where you've just got a, an incompetent ideolo- ideologue left wing mayor. You can't trust to make the right decisions. You know that you're worried about where this is all going to go. And 
we all have to just sort of fight through it in our, in our own way. But the lockdowns of whole states, and I think Pennsylvania is now increasingly on lockdown. I'm not even sure what the full, you know, the, the tri-state area, which is New York, Connecticut, and, and uh, New Jersey, they're trying to mirror each other's policies so that there won't be just a jump around effect of people say, well, if I can go out and do more things in New Jersey, it's right next door to New York, I'll go there. And I believe Pennsylvania has joined in. So it's really a quad state now. There's four states all together in their policies because there's so much connectivity in terms of work and, and travel between those states in particular. So that's the situation up here in the Northeast. I know California is increasing in lockdown and every state is dealing with this in its own way. But there is also the rising recognition of what I've been telling you, and that is we simply can't continue doing this. California can't tell us in an open-ended way, can't tell its residents, neither can New York, neither can any other state that's doing this. Yeah, you're just going to have to be on lockdown. You're just going to have to be patient with us as we figure out what's next here. And and then you also have the finance, because the, the economic realities of this are that the economy will just implode and there won't be an economy. We'll have to start building an economy from zero, not just turning an economy back on and needing, uh, needing it to regain some lost territory. Uh, that's currently where we are. Um, so I, I think that this is the timeline that the country is facing. We don't have three months. We don't have 18 months for sure. I don't even think we really have three months, maybe max of pretty extreme measures. We're going to have to start lessening measures and that means that eventually we're also we're going to see people there's going to be casualties from this virus no matter what we do by the way there already are casualties but there'll be even more and it's just going to be a question of getting this in two three four weeks time to what is an acceptable amount of strain on the health system what is an amount of casualties from the virus that we can sustain as a society while also sustaining our economy it's a balancing act there are no perfect answers here and speaking of highly imperfect answers here we have you know the gop uh has put out this bill on sending out the immediate checks what they're saying is they want twelve hundred dollars a person twenty four hundred dollars of filing jointly five hundred dollars per kid and then there's a phase out above seventy five thousand starts there and then it phases out completely above 99,000 and there's a much smaller benefit of $600 for millions without federal tax liability. <sighs> this is not going to work. It, it'll help a little bit, but it's not enough. And it's also really unfair. They're basing this on your tax filing from 2018. Okay, maybe you made $120,000 in 2018. Well, what did you make in 2019? We're in 2020. And how does this help people who might have just lost all of their income? Their entire business is shut down. We're supposed to think that if you made 100 grand two years ago, you are in pretty good shape now. And also $100,000, and a lot of you listening to this know, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, KEIB before in Los Angeles, one of our wonderful affiliates, you know, KFAB in Omaha, uh, 100 grand goes a lot further in Omaha, Nebraska than it does in Los Angeles. 
So if someone's in an already expensive city and they're being measured against a nationwide metric for income, it just doesn't work. This isn't enough. We have to go back. The business of the American people needs to be business again. We can't do this lockdown thing for, for much longer. The economic pain will be too much. And I think that that's really what, what everyone is waking up to right now. Okay, it was the terror of the virus, but now we're getting into the discussion about is the cure, so to speak, worse than the disease? Uh, is the effort here against the virus doing so much damage to our economy and within our livelihoods and within our lives that we need to scale it back, even if it's not the single, you know, e- even if it means that there's the efficacy of our antivirus efforts are hindered. You know, that's this is the trade off that we're trying to make right now. This is what we're trying to figure out as we go through all of this. And I mean, I'll just say it right now. We, we don't have we don't have months, maybe two we could do. And we can't do what we're doing right now with the whole lockdowns. That's two to three weeks max. And at that point, people are just going to non comply. I'm going to non comply. I, I can't do it. I can't stay cooped up in, in my apartment unable to live life in any meaningful way outside of my home, I'm not going to be able to keep doing that for 60 or 90 days. I'm sorry. And I know the government, you know, right now in, in California, Los Angeles, Garcetti saying they're going to deputize people from city government to go around and make sure that everyone's abiding by all these rules. That'll work, you know, right now. And everyone should abide for the next couple of weeks by the CDC and their state guidance on this. But it's a couple of weeks, maybe three, two. That's all. They come after me in a month and tell me that I can't walk on the street, get some fresh air and, you know, meet, meet a friend, even if we're like keeping some distance. I'm sorry, that's not going to fly. Uh, no one is going to accept a total cessation of their life for months at a time. The destruction of the U.S. economy, the eradication of wealth that people have spent years, perhaps decades building up you know, for a lot of small business owners. You know, maybe they just started to get in the black in the last year or two. You know, they've been struggling and struggling. And finally, we've got this robust economy the last three years. And, and now we're just going to tell them, sorry. No, it's not going to work that way. We all we all know this deep down. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. January 24th, you tweeted out this. Appreciate today's briefing from the president's top health officials on the novel coronavirus outbreak. These men and women are working around the clock to keep our country safe and healthy, included Dr. Tony Fauci. He was there, among others. You preached calm to the public in your tweet. Did you leave that briefing with worry or were you reassured that they were prepared? I felt very confident that we were prepared. I think where we stand today, we could not have imagined how this has unfolded. But I will tell you, I commend the president, the task force, the vice president, all the doctors and nurses on the ground who are working so hard to address this. And I think the president's early actions in terms of putting that travel ban on, putting travel limitations, Mm -hmm. have been the right thing to slow this down, to develop diagnostics. So, Senator, pardon me, you thought the government was prepared, yet shortly after that 
tweet that I just noted, you sold over a million dollars in stocks in your own personal portfolio before the market went down. Were you trading on inside information about what was coming? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked, Ed, because I do want to set the record straight. I've seen some of those stories, and it's absolutely false, and it could not be true. So this is an exchange between Ed Henry on Fox News and Senator uh, Kelly Leffler of Georgia. And I got to tell you, very rarely do I read something in the media that really, really ticks me off, really sets me off. And, and this fell into that category. Uh, this was that. And I don't care that she's a Republican. Don't care. Don't care if and Richard, uh, Senator Burr of the Intelligence Committee also has now come under scrutiny for this. Here's the basic allegation that there may be. U.S. senators who had access to highly sensitive, classified, non-public information. So it's national security information and non-public information. And they may have acted on that. Uh, Kelly Leffler sold $1.6 million of stock at a very opportune time and also bought into a bunch of telecommuting companies. Right at right at perfect timing on this. That's suspicious. Now, she was there trying to say that her advisors do this and she has no say in it. Really? I can just tell you this. If she has some phone calls to her advisors right around that time, you know, this is the the separation of interest that people pretend to have sometimes that does not stand up. Uh, If Burr or Leffler are found to have acted on non-public information to enrich themselves, they should, they should have to resign, and if applicable, they should face criminal prosecution. Now, I know Dianne Feinstein also sold some stock then. There was another, um, another uh, Republican senator, I'm forgetting uh, who it was off the top of my head. He came under scrutiny for this, but that was a private equity transaction that was years in the making. So, no, that's not the same thing. People who dump, you can look at this, anybody who understands the stock market, somebody who dumps their stock right at the beginning of February after going into a briefing where they've been told, you know, anyone who knew the numbers out of China were kind of fake and what's going on in Italy is about to turn into a massive catastrophe and all of our experts are telling us that this is going to be much worse than anybody's anticipated right now. And anyone who then said, oh, I'm going to sell the U.S. stock market based on that information while telling the American people, invest, while telling people like me, you love this country, invest. I don't have a lot of money, but you know, I, I have some to invest. I, they invest in this country if you believe in. I said, absolutely. I believe in America. So I'm going to I'm going to put more cash in the stock market. I was doing that a month ago. Yeah. People like me look at this and say, oh, OK. So I invest in America. But maybe somebody who is a senator with classified access now is effectively, you know, pulling cash out of America at just the, just the time that's best benefit for them. So they got the rise in the market without the downside. Look, I'm, I, as far as I'm concerned on this, if, if they're guilty, and as I've said, we, they're, they're, I know what the explanation they'll probably offer is, one, she's Leffler saying, and she's married to the head of the New York Stock Exchange, so she's very rich, but don't think that that stops people. Look, Martha Stewart was dumping stock on the advice of her broker. She shouldn't have been prosecuted for that, but her broker may have been the one who was acting on inside information on her behalf. And she, that, was a, that was like a $40,000 stock transaction. Martha Stewart's worth like a billion dollars. Okay, so very rich people can be very dumb and very greedy. It happens all the time. 
Uh, so just because Leffler is worth a lot of money doesn't mean that she's not responsible here for this. We'll have to see if if this holds up. Burr also, I think Burr's the one who sold $1.6 million of stock, or maybe it was Leffler. One of them did. A very, and that's how they usually gauge insider trading is by the size of the transaction. Uh, and sometimes people get clever and they try to hide it. So they'll say, well, I'll, I'll buy a bunch of stocks that I don't care about. Maybe they'll go down, but I'll buy, you know, five or $10,000 of those stocks. But then I'm going to short the whole U.S. Dow by like $100,000. Or I'm going to buy telecommuting companies because they're obviously going to become very useful when everyone's on lockdown and can't go to work. I'm going to spend 100 grand on that. You look at the pattern. You look at the way that they uh, have conducted themselves based on the possibility of access to inside information. And it's, look, it's it, Feinstein's name also has come up here. It's the whole thing. If anyone did this, they need to lose their job as a public official. And if applicable, it's a little bit tough because there was the stock act of 2012 that said that they could be guilty of insider trading insider trading cases are notoriously hard to prove even when people are you know really guilty i mean they went after like that guy raj rajaratnam of galleon capital capital some of you will remember that and uh, he got 11 years i think in federal prison they, they gave him a real long stint uh, but they had him talking to people at coming out of uh you know out of non-public meetings of, of people on the boards of companies and just getting on the phone and being like, oh, really? That's what's happening? Okay, I'm going to buy this. I mean, they, they had him absolutely nailed. Unless they have you absolutely nailed like that, it can be tough to make an insider trading case. Now, I, I know that you might say, well, Buck, there's more important things than whether someone... Yeah, but public trust right now in the officials that are making decisions... Remember, they're mandating that you stay home. They're effectively telling you that you we all have to take it in the teeth. We all have to watch our 401ks evaporate. We all have to take this loss. This loss is a mandated loss in the stock market. The government is really you know, what's pushing this now. Yeah, initially the fear over coronavirus and production and supply chain, that was all there. But when we're being told no more economy, stay home, that is the government saying we're tanking the economy. So it's not like, oh, you know, you win some, you lose some. This is just a question of who was right and who was wrong and who got lucky. No, the government is telling us the economy is effectively turned off right now. And so anybody in government who is using their position in that apparatus to make money needs to be severely punished. And as I said, irrespective of party, I don't care what political party they're in. I want them gone if they're guilty. And I know we got other things to focus on right now. And so people are going to say, and by the way, this is true for anybody in the White House, too. If you find out that someone who's a senior White House official, you know, sold a million dollars of stock right before this happened, you know, sold all their all their uh, ETFs and all their positions in the overall market. Mm -mm. Got to go. Got to go. Unacceptable. There are some things See, we do. see we on the right. We do have principles. Which can get in the way sometimes gets in the way of power, gets in the way of getting what you want. Um, on the left, they have no such problem, but they have no such principles either. So that's where we are on this insider trading situation. Um, oh, some good news. Some good news I wanted to share with all of you. And that is that uh, the tax day has been moved. I've, I last week, last couple of weeks, I'm trying to pull together all my tax stuff. So this was nice. I'm happy about this. First of all, we should all be much more outraged on tax day than we are because it's appalling that the income tax is as high as it is and the federal and the federal government is, uh, you know, 
as rapacious as it is. So that's one thing. I'm always amazed that people aren't more upset that they have to give so much of their money to the federal government. But I guess we get sort of, uh, you know, sucked into thinking that this is normal somehow. But it's going to be July 15th instead of April 15th. So you don't have to file unless for those of you listening to this, if a lot of you I know are going to get a refund file now, you'll get that check. It'll maybe take whatever it is, a few weeks, uh, four to six weeks. But if you have a nice refund coming, you don't have to wait till July. But for me, somebody who has quarterly payments and, you know, I swear, for, for a guy who doesn't make that much money, I got more, more tax nonsense that I have to deal with because I have all these different little side hustles and schemes to make money in media, uh, mostly, mostly through my wonderful radio show. So thank you guys for all keeping the lights on here. But I do some other things. Every time I give a speech to some entity, that's income. You know, that's a 1099. Every time I do this or that, 1099. I got to find all these 1099. Sometimes you write for a website, and they'll send me a check for like $30. And then they'll send me the 1099. I'm like, ah, I got I to gotta write it. I got to submit a 1099 for 30 bucks. This is getting annoying. So anyway, uh, this, is, this is a good news situation. I know it's not a great news situation, but it's nice that we get a little bit of a reprieve from tax day because with all the other stress we're feeling right now, I think everyone understands that we didn't need this to be added on the list, added on the pile of what we have to deal with. Um, and by the time tax day comes around, we'll at least know where we are in this fight against uh, against COVID-19 and, and how we're doing against it. So, you know, we'll see. Um, we'll see if these policies that are putting in place right now, these economic policies specifically, if they're doing a good job with it. Um, this is going to this is going to get pretty crazy pretty quickly. That much, unfortunately, I'm very confident of. So I, they're going to have to relax this. Or the American people are going to relax the policies for them, meaning we're going to have, as I've been calling it, mass noncompliance. And there's just not the resources or the will or the desire or, quite honestly, the right to force people to stay in their homes indefinitely. Government just government just can't do that. I don't care what the situation is out there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Dr. Fauci, uh, as was explained yesterday, there has been some promise with hydroxychloroquine, this potential therapy for people who are infected with coronavirus. Is there any evidence to suggest that, as with malaria, it might be used as a prophylaxis against COVID-19? No, the answer is is no. And and the, the evidence that you're talking about, John, is anecdotal evidence. So as the commissioner of FDA and the president mentioned yesterday, we're trying to strike a, a balance between making something with a potential of an act of an effect uh, to the American people available at the same time that we do it under the auspices of a protocol that would give us information to determine if it's truly safe and truly effective. But the information that you're referring to specifically is anecdotal. It was not done in a controlled clinical trial, so you really can't make any definitive statement about it. I think uh, I'm, without uh, seeing too much, I'm probably more of a fan of that than. Uh, Maybe than anybody, but I'm a big fan, and we'll see what happens. And uh, we all understand what the doctor said is 100% correct. It's early. Oh, man. Here you go. The president trying to say that chloroquine is something that he is hopeful about. He let Dr. Fauci say exactly what he wanted to say. And Dr. Fauci is telling everybody, look, it's anecdotal. It's early. It's early. Don't don't think that this is going to be the savior of humanity chloroquine this old drug that's been around to treat malaria for like uh, 50 60 years now don't think that and trump comes out and says look i get it 
Fauci's correct. It's too early. But, I, you know, he's just trying to say in, in his Trumpian way, which we're all familiar with now, you know, he's like, it's early. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm, I'm hopeful. I think it's good. Trump is trying to say that, you know, he is optimistic. That's all. And the media jumps on him for it. And it just drives me nuts after a while. I mean, the president is trying to keep people from freaking out, from panicking. And sure enough, we just keep having to hear from the clowns in the media how whatever he's doing is terrible. However, he's operating is the wrong way. It's just. Yeah. Look, there there is nothing. If I could make one thing in the world happen right now. If somebody said, Buck, I'll give you I'll give you $10 million in cash right now or you'll be able to go on air and do a report next week that chloroquine is highly effective in the treatment of this pandemic. I swear to you, I would say the latter door number two, because I don't even know if $10 million is going to be worth anything if we keep going down this pathway in a year. Plus, I care a lot more about the lives of loved ones and the American people than any amount of money. So you add these things together, you go, there's nothing that I want more in the world right now. Nothing than that this uh, this old drug happens to be the answer to this prayer. And I think Trump is just trying to give some voice to the, you know, we're we're hopeful, too. We're going to see where it goes. Nothing is perfect here. But, you know, stay on it. We're, we're going to stay on it. And Fauci is saying, guys, all right, I'm the scientist. You know, it's not a good cop, bad cop situation, but it's a cold, hard science and then a leader that's not they're, they're not approaching this from the exact same perspective. They're not contradicting each other. Trump said what, what Fauci said is 100 percent true, but he's just trying to give us hope. And then the media tries to jump all over him for that, tries to undermine him. So I think it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely warranted when Trump scolds some of these absolute punks that. Given all we're going through right now, they're still more focused on Trump's lying. Trump's lying. He's not lying, you idiots. He just doesn't want people to give in to despair right now. I know what's going on. I'm seeing your messages from across the country. People are losing jobs. They're worried about losing homes. Now, I know they're going to hold back on foreclosures for a number of days here. And there's some other, you know, financial relief that's coming to people. Fine. Great. But guess what? That's only temporary. Those are temporary measures and people are still having to buy groceries. People are still having to run up expenses with no income. It's not like when their job comes back, all of a sudden they don't owe that money on the mortgage. They're not wiping it all away. So people are in real pain right now and are scared. And I'm not even talking about the, the pain of the people that are in the ICU or the people that are suffering from this disease right now. That's horrific, too. So we are going through this. This is where we need to really come together as Americans and as human beings. And to see just the lack of that common decency from people who have platforms who should be reaching our fellow Americans every day, it, they're just a disgrace. And I, I wish it weren't so. And you know that I'm, I'm approaching this to be not just fair minded. I'm trying to be uh, generous in my assessments of different leaders, you know. Uh, Newsom's lockdown in California seems, you know, a little extreme, maybe. But I think Newsom has approached this with seriousness and I'm willing to see how it plays out. I think Cuomo in New York has approached this with seriousness. He's been a good, steady voice on this. De Blasio is a buffoon. But, you know, th there are people that are stepping up. And you've even heard from some Democrats in the House and the Senate. Yes, you know, the 
the package we're working on is bipartisan and this is a time for us to come together and we should encourage all of that. That's good. None of this gamesmanship from lib journos. We cannot allow this stuff to cloud our thinking at this point in time. So I'm with the president on this. People should not be able to act like total lunatics right now in the media and get away with it. And please, God, play for, pray for uh, chloroquine here. Pray for chloroquine that it works. That will, it'll be the best news. It'll be the best news that maybe we'll, I'll ever be able to deliver to you on this show. If in fact it works, we'll see as the president says. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, team, I just want to say I appreciate those of you who uh, are picking up on the fact that we've had a little bit of technical difficulty in the last couple of days. Um, we have not sent producer Mark off into a special quarantine. He, he's not, he was not sent off into some exile where only producer Mark gets sent. Um, we, we just have had some shifts that have had to be made here with all the enormous changes in not just the day-to-day lives of everybody here in New York City where we originate the show, um, but also we, we needed to make changes with regard to studio space and technology. And while I can get my MacGyver on sometimes, better hair though, obviously, I'm not, although MacGyver in his day, I gotta say, he didn't really have a swoop, but it was kind of a fashionable mullet. That was a great show. I used to watch that show with my, uh, with my babysitter growing up, my nanny. And she loved that show too. She was from Liverpool and she had the funkiest accent you've ever heard in your life. I won't even, I can't even begin. It's like, oh, I'm from Liverpool. It's the weirdest accent you've ever heard. Even for English accents, you're like, what? What? And that reminds me, I'm uh, I'm in season five of Peaky Blinders. This is where we start to bring some of the uh, conversation in the the HUD into what are we going to be doing this weekend? What, what, What are our quarantine activities and thoughts and suggestions uh, those of you who see uh, on pluto tv if you watch channel 248 on pluto tv you'll see this show in video form i i had to move some things around just to make room for all the gear and equipment in my home including i had to move around some books and i figured well why don't i just move some of my book piles into view so people can actually see some of the things that I've got uh, that, I'm, that I've either read or I'm about to read, because I always talk about having a book list for all of you. So books, shows, at home, physical activity, all that stuff, I think, is, is certainly in the, uh, in the realm of what we should talk about for this weekend. Look, it, we are all going to I know it is repetitive, but we're all going to be OK. We're going to get through this. Um, and just remember, you know, we've, we've been through, we've been through worse as a country and we're going to get through this for sure. Try to make the best use of the time that we have to be on this lockdown, you know, this elevated, uh, elevated quarantine situation in New York. I mean, I'm trying to not waste any time. I'm quite busy. I do four hours of radio a day, as you guys all know. So that, that takes a lot, but I also now have told you, I'm going to do a Siege of Malta podcast, which will take some time. Um, I'm still working on the final edits of the book. Some of you are probably thinking, hold on a second. Are you going to work into your your book writing something about pandemics? Because socialism now is less of an issue. Well, yes, I'm, I'm going to I have to do some updates to the book about the crisis that will lead to socialism, because one of my theories is that 
the government will look at everything that has gone wrong and think that government is the only solution, that the government is, in fact, the answer. They're not going to say, oh, wow, we messed this up in some way. Therefore, the people should be more in charge of their fate. That, that, that is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. So what, what may end up happening is the government ends up using this, especially given that even the most staunch libertarians at this moment find themselves saying, yeah, OK, we do need government action here. You can't have free markets with everyone showing up to the market with a possibly uh, debilitating, highly contagious disease. So government action has certainly been a part of this whole process and is going to continue to be. Uh, but they're going to try to uh, look They're the same forces of Bernie Sandersism and the, the Sandernistas, the people in the Democratic Party on the left who want massive expansion of government. They're going to see this crisis, the anger, the frustration, all of the economic dislocation. They're going to see that as an opportunity to push even further for statism and socialism and greater control by the, the same elites who messed up the same elite echelons of our own society that were in charge of the preparation for this pandemic that did not see it coming, that did not make adequate. And this is an, an across the board thing for government. I'm not I'm not blaming the Trump administration. I think Trump has done a solid job on this one. I can't really assess it because I feel like we're in the first quarter of a four quarter game. Can you tell how good a coach has been in the first quarter of a football game? This was also my frustration some weeks ago when I was talking to the Bill Maher panel and Bill himself, and they kept saying, you know, Trump is terrible. He's done a terrible job with this. And I was looking at them like, you don't know what he's done. We're, we're talking about something that no one can assess. So you're just spewing Trump hatred and pretending it's rooted in facts. That's all that they were doing. But there's clearly uh, there has clearly been a series of government failures. There has clearly been some real problems when it comes to the approach that local governments, state governments, everybody, everybody involved in this. And, and most notably, I think you'd have to say the federal bureaucracy are bureaucratic overseers. The CDC, we want them to do a great job, but they didn't do a great job. And in the initial phase of this with uh, with the testing kits. Now, remember, testing has been overemphasized in the media. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. And there were failures in the process. I'm not going to pretend that there weren't. That would be bizarre. Of course there were. But testing has been uh, elevated in a sense and treated as though the uh, that was that could have stopped this or we could, it's just that's not realistic. We probably had this thing in the U.S. circulating for a long time before we even knew that there were, you know, before we even knew that this was spreading around the world. But you've seen shortcomings in the government. That's not going to change. And unfortunately, I think we are going to be at a place here where the government's ineptitude in dealing with this is going to look about as bad as the government's ineptitude in preparing for it. That all said, let's get into some what to do this weekend while you are on various stages, in various stages of quarantine. TV, book, activity recommendations, all that good stuff. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
So what are some of the activities that uh, we can all engage in this weekend? I've really been I've a few things. One, you've got books and there are so many books that I'm sure all of us uh, would like to read. There's so many books that we have been thinking about reading over time and never really been able to dig into them. Now's a great weekend. You can't go to the gym. You can't go out to restaurants. You can't go visit your crazy Uncle Bill down the street. You know what I mean? You, you got to just do what you got to do at home. Be with family. A lot of family time for people, which is interesting. Um, I think I'm, I'm kidding about this. Most people, I'm sure, cherish all the family time. But for those who are in a house with like three or four young kids, I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it's a bit lively in there right now with the kids not in school and staying home all day. That's got to be its own challenge. I have a, a little furry friend here, as in a French bulldog, that is staying with me. And she is a handful, let me tell you. And it's, uh, that's not even a human being that I'm responsible for, but she's still a little bit of a handful. So um, books that I have out here, I mentioned, it's funny, I'm actually just looking now. I will just tell you about the books that I'm surround, physically actually surrounded with right now. And all of the ones that I will call out to you are, well, these are ones that I've read that I think you will really, really enjoy. Um, the there's a whole bunch of different versions of Thucydides, the Pelop history of the Peloponnesian War. I mentioned that yesterday. The landmark Thucydides is the one that I have highly recommend. If you like military strategy and war and things like that, this is a must. You, you have to read this book at some point. So it's dense uh, and it's long. It's big. But I think you will uh, you will like it. Um, the Power Broker. Uh, history of Robert Moses by the very revered biographer Robert Caro. A power broker is like a 900 some odd pages, a big book. It's very good though. It's about uh, how bureaucrat, how a bureaucrat like Robert Moses wield, wielded so much power uh, and really created his own kingdom inside the bureaucracy. I'm looking at more books now. Uh, I've got Orwell's Animal Farm out. Now, this is for everybody. If you have not read Animal Farm, if you haven't read it, I think that this weekend you should almost consider that your homework. I would read Animal Farm this weekend if I were you. If you haven't read it before, you'll read it in a day, maybe a day and a half. You'll, you'll rip right through it. And if you're listening to this and you're high school or college age, I know we got Team Buck Campus. You guys are all home and gals are all home now. You'll really enjoy it. But even if you think of yourself as a grizzled veteran of the intellectual battles with socialism and communism and you've read lots of Hayek and von Mises and you name it you know you don't know about the Austrian school you could take people to the Austrian school you know if you really are into that stuff it's still worth if you haven't read Animal Farm in a long time going back and reading it it is it is truly brilliant and the specificity and the way that um, the way that Orwell really mirrored much of the, the rise of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union and, and the rhetoric and the, the tricks and the tools and the oppression. And it's, it's incredible. Um, I've also got a book over here on Hannibal. Hannibal, the uh, general from Carthage, uh, Carthage, who almost managed to stamp out the Roman Empire. I mean, almost managed to just defeat entirely the Roman Empire. And some of the battles like there's so many ways of saying this, and some of you are going to say, that's not how you say it. I, I've, I've read books just on the battle, and people will say, 
Kane, Kenny, and um, Can I? You will hear all three depending on which version of the uh, which version of the Latin you go with. People say Kane, Kane, Can I? C A N N A E. But one of the most uh, catastrophic battles in ancient warfare uh, that any force ever faced and the Romans lost and were an an entire army annihilated, tens of thousands of people annihilated with sharp objects and clubs, you know, not annihilated with machine guns. I mean, think about what that would have been like. Fascinating. Hannibal crossing the Alps with the elephants. One of the one of the great military campaigns of of all human history, certainly up there with uh, Cortez and the conquest of Mexico, the Aztecs, Uh, you know, it's really an incredible, an incredible story. So I highly recommend you pick up a book if you haven't already. If you want a a classic version of it, um, if you want a classic version, I would say you could go with uh, Livy did the war with Hannibal, Uh, Livy, an ancient Roman historian. So he's kind of the he's the Thucydides of the of the Punic War, which is the wars between Rome and Carthage. Uh, Steve Cole, the Bin Ladens. It is a really well-written book. Steve Cole's a very talented author. He's a liberal, but he's a very talented author. Uh, I don't think anyone really cares that much about Bin Laden anymore. So that's a book that I read back when Al-Qaeda was the single biggest threat that we faced. Now things obviously feel very different. So I don't know if I could give you that one as a a top recommendation for right now. Uh, William Manchester, A World Lit Only by Fire. I think that's a fantastic uh, kind of narrative overview history of the medieval period. Uh, If you haven't read it, William Manchester is also one of the great biographers. And the two biographies that he wrote that I could highly recommend you, I've read both of them. Uh, American Caesar with Douglas MacArthur, which is maybe a bit hagiographic. I mean, he, he makes the case. And Douglas MacArthur, you read that biography, you're like, this guy was amazing. Um, Nimitz does not get nearly. I'm just telling you what the takeaway is. Nimitz does not get the same love for his uh, strategic skill as MacArthur gets. That's for sure. Uh, but you have uh, that and also. William Manchester, who is the professor emeritus of history at Wesleyan University, which is one of the most liberal places on the planet, I think. Uh, but he is certainly not a, a Manchester wasn't a big lib. I believe he passed away some years ago. Uh, but he wrote a biography, a two series biography of Churchill. Uh, the first one is the best known. The Last Lion. I've read that one. It's excellent. And the second one is Alone. That's really Churchill's period in the political wilderness. And there's a movie that you can watch that goes along with that period of Churchillian history uh, called The Gathering Storm. If you liked that Gary Oldman Churchill movie that came out a few years ago, uh, Darkest Hour, or was it Finest Hour? No, Darkest Hour, not Finest Hour, whatever. If you like that Gary Oldman movie, the Churchill uh, Gathering Storm movie, you know, it's not, there's no action. It's almost like a stage play that you're watching. But the guy who plays Churchill in The Gathering Storm is the best Churchill, uh, it's the best Churchillian actor I've ever seen in my life. So ju- it's worth it just for that, uh, that aspect alone. You're really just watching a guy embody Winston Churchill and walk around and be like, pigs look you in the eye. You know, there's a whole... So I, I could recommend, and I'm sure you can get that on Amazon Prime, um, any number of places. Uh, I'm trying to see what else. 
We have here. I have a book called The Society of the Muslim Brotherhood um, or the, of the Muslim Brothers. If you want to learn the history of the Muslim Brotherhood, you could read that one. But it's dense. It's not a fun read. I cannot tell you that that's one that you're going to be like, oh, Buck, this is great. I'm just telling you what books I happen to have surrounded myself with now because I had to shift stuff around my tiny New York apartment. Uh, let's see here. Um, ooh, The Devil's Horseman. A quick read, an interesting read. This specifically focuses on, and I think some of the books that I have, like the Society of the Muslim Brothers, I think if you go on Amazon and try to get it, they want usually like 40 or 50 bucks for it. It's kind of rare. Some of these are out of print because... You know how I do go over to Strand Bookstore, the rare, not the rare book section, but the history book section and pick up books that are out of print because that's how the Buckster gets. That's how the Buckster parties on Saturday afternoon when the city's not on lockdown. So speaking of the Buckster parties now, I've literally got a French bulldog that heard someone in the hallway. Tallulah, come back here. She's being naughty. She's being naughty because she thinks she can get away with it because, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it and nobody feels fine. Just kidding. We're all going to be fine. Tallulah, stop that. So we also have, uh, let's see here. Oh, a book on Paul Pierce. I'm sorry. Pierce Paul Reed. A book on the Templars. This guy is not really a classic historian, but he does a really excellent job in this book on the Templars. I think he also wrote about that. Uh, I think he wrote the book that was turned into the movie Alive about the soccer team that went down over the Andes and ended up eating people so that, you know, eating some of their own dead so they could escape and not die because uh, they were freezing to death and had no provisions up in the Andes Mountains. So that's, he, I'm telling you that the Templars, that the book that he wrote, Piers Paul Reed, it's very readable, very, you move through it really quickly. It's, it's an excellent overview of the subject matter. So that's a really good one. I'm trying to think of what else would be in the uh, Orwell, all, all art is propaganda. I got a lot of Orwell around me right now, but I don't want to overdo that. Pity the Nation by Robert Fisk. Robert Fisk has kind of gone off uh, into some crazy directions in recent years from what I understand. But his uh, his overview history of the conflict in Lebanon, Syria, what we think of as the Lebanese civil civil war. If you care about that, it's very interesting. But I, that's not on the I'm just telling you what's around me right now. That's not on the recommended list. Ooh, John Keegan, Intelligence in War and also Martin Anderson. Reagan's Secret War, very good books. Highly recommend you check these out. I think you'll really enjoy them. Understanding that intelligence can be such a game changer in warfare, it's just a fascinating topic. And if you like that movie about the Enigma machine, uh, you know, the imitation game, if, if you like that, uh, you'll, you'll love these books. I mean, they talk about different things from intelligence and war, obviously, as the title indicates. So highly, highly recommend you check those out and uh, with that we shall do some roll call thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts rock and roll fellow patriots we made ours go up to 11 It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. That's right. Time for the Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And also, I have a request, team. 
especially because New York is the epicenter right now of the coronavirus fight in the United States, COVID-19, Wuhan virus, call it whatever you want. Um, would you all please, especially the podcast listeners out there, check out my WOR podcast too, um, because it's great to see those numbers go up. I mean, our numbers here for the Buck Sexton show, the national show are, are great and growing. I want them to grow a lot more, but they've been doing really, really well, especially the last six months. But if those of you who are podcast listeners, especially now, because I think the focus on New York uh, is something that you would find interesting. I don't want to do too much of that here on this show because I know we're talking to you all across the country and in some cases all over the world. But go to 710WOR.com slash buck and you can check out. That's the only place you can get that podcast. And it just helps me. It makes me look good to the bosses if you guys check out that show, listen to that show. So team, especially if you're in the tri-state area because then you, I get credit for you as, as my listeners for the, the radio station, even if you're listening digitally. Uh, please, please, team, do. Uh, this weekend's a great time for it. Listen to the last, you know, listen to today's and the last couple of WOR shows because I really get into what's going on here in New York at a time when the whole country's focused in on it. So if you wouldn't mind, 710WOR.com slash buck, and you can listen to the podcast there. Even if you're listening to podcasts normally, that's a different podcast than this show. All right. Um, now we get to the comments, insights, pithy quips, all the good stuff from you, team. Let's start with Jeff. Hey, Buck, I download the podcast and listen every day. You and Dan Bongino are the two top places for facts, not fiction. Well, thank you so much. I'm in I'm in excellent company with Dan Bongino, who's a friend of mine and a really, really good dude. And I'm very pleased and happy for him for all the success that he's having. I'm out here uh, still running up and down the interstates, keeping things moving. The panic buying appears to be pretty much everywhere I go. I'm from Western PA and do uh, and so far everyone is acting like it's business as usual except for the panic buying i've personally started wearing nitrile gloves when i get out of my truck and only use my own pens it's getting more and more difficult for us drivers out here to find restaurants that are still open so i'm keeping a good supply of food and water with me at all times i'll keep you updated on what i'm seeing love the show and i pass the buck on facebook to everyone keep my gloves out and my shields high well, Jeff, man, thank you so much for helping to keep everything going, which is so important right now. We need people. I mean, the front lines of this battle are uh, are people who are doctors, nurses, physicians, assistants, EMS, first responder. And you just go on the list and you, you got to think that the people that are still showing up for work, grocery store clerks, CVS clerks. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. People that are still getting up, getting into their truck and delivering food are keeping this country from having uh, uh, anarchy in the streets right now. I mean, can you imagine if all of a sudden people and it, but it's not we're not going to get there. We're going to take care of it. So I'm the, please, everyone. Ooh, Buck is <sighs> Buck is chilling everybody out. It's going to be fine. But can you imagine for a second if we actually got to a place where the stores you went to, you went into your grocery store and the shelves were empty and they were like, we might not get another delivery for 30 days. Then you're going to have big problems. So the people who are getting up into their truck, making sure we get this food delivered, the people who are still showing up when, you know, the power goes out for somebody. I think about how you know, elevators here in New York, you know, elevator repairmen, 
we still need you guys uh, because if someone gets stuck in an elevator here, they really don't want to hear, well, you know, we're under quarantine, so we're just going to like lower food to you, right? There are people that do essential jobs, and we are thankful for them, and, uh, and we really do. I mean, I see everyone who's showing up for work right now, and I, I take a little moment of thanks, and also I feel a little pride. I was like, that's right. This is how America does it. You know, we've got our we've got our truckers, we've got our first responders, we've got our police, we've got our fire, we've got people that are doing what is necessary. And also, you know, I want to do a shout out for people at iHeartMedia, the company that I work for, who are right now still doing what they have to to make sure that the shows like mine stay on air. We've got engineers, we've got technical staff, they're people who are working their brains out uh, trying to make sure that we can continue the spread of information and also the entertainment and comfort that comes from having shows like this on the air. So a lot of people are stepping up and we need to keep that in mind as we go forward here. So thank you so much, Jeff. Andy, Buck and producer Mark. On the topic of things to keep you busy during quarantine, we've come across the great content on the Hillsdale College YouTube page and online courses. My cousin is a current student there and suggested we check it out. They have many hours of content on the Constitution, Congress, and even literature and philosophy. There's no reason we can't all come out of this with a little less flab in our minds, bodies, and souls. Also, the people demand a penalty box with producer Mark segment, maybe a quick minute of sports commentary to spark more hilarious Buck versus producer Mark sports interactions. Give the people what they want. Andy, I've already told producer Mark when we come back out of quarantine uh we we should really take the opportunity to start doing the penalty box it probably won't be every day maybe once a week but we just give the floor to producer mark for you know a few minutes for his favorite sports stories or something else from the week and then he gets to carry the content and i get to do the little like poke poke yeah yeah what do you got producer mark yeah what do you got and uh we'll see how that goes i cannot out salt salty mark though that is that is for sure dennis from mostly Wuhan virus-free mid-Missouri, trying to help out being part of your social network as the Freedom Hut stays hunkered down. Thanks, as always, for your great work. Yes, the show is superb, but I would like for you to know that there are probably many like me that really appreciate the research and background work obviously done each and every day as you put together such a well-balanced and informative show. Your work does not go unnoticed. Always interesting to get your perspective as a young man in New York City, being I'm a 61-year-old living in rural, uh, rural mid-Missouri. Interesting in that it seems the conservative mindset doesn't vary with age, economic status, or geographic location. Well, Dennis, first of all, thank you so much for the really uh, very generous words about the show and the, the research and the effort that we put into it. Um, I People always ask me how I prepare for this show, as if I have some... You know, yes, I, I do like, you know, an hour and then I, I there's a little bit of structure in my day, but I'm I'm preparing all the time. I find myself, let's say in pre quarantine life, I would be at the gym and have a thought about a segment or a topic or just an idea. And I, I got to stop what I'm doing and start taking I, I take a lot of notes on my phone. You know, that's how I remember things. So I'll just start just furiously, you know, with my thumbs writing on my on my smartphone so that I can do some segment the next day or maybe even the next week. Um, I send myself articles to read later constantly all the time. I mean, I'm almost now, I feel like my mind has, has melded with my cell phone to the point where I'm not sure there's really much of a separation between the two because I'm constantly doing research and reading. And so the fact that you appreciate that really does mean a lot um, because it, it is exhausting. 
And I'm trying not to turn into job of the buck, especially during quarantine. So when your mind is that tired and you're so focused in on research like that, you, know, you also got to make time to get out and move and go to the gym and be healthy and all this stuff. Although right now we're, I had some gluten-free lasagna last night. Feel a little bit like Garfield the cat right now, and starting to look like him. I gotta, I gotta turn, I gotta tone that down or tone things up, as the case may be. I was in a good zone for like a month, folks. I'm telling you, I was getting stronger. The biceps were growing. The waistline was shrinking. Everything was good, and then this happened, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't win. I can't win. The last time I feel like I was in a really good zone of working out was maybe th three years ago. And some of you who have watched me enough can see, I mean, I got really lean, like for me, down into the 170s, which is light for the Buckster. I'm six feet tall, but, you know, I was in the like 175, 178 range, which for me is that was lean and mean. And then I started getting I got chronic headaches that would that lasted continuously for weeks at a time. And they were recurrent. And so I missed out on about, and working out would create worse headaches. Uh, so I missed out on about six months of workouts. And since then, I've been trying to kind of get back to, get back to that place. But I'm telling you, I was on the way for this summer. And then this came along. And now I've just got to eat some gluten-free lasagna. It's been a tough day. The world's falling apart. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. Uh, let's see here. Um, and oh, and Dennis, yes, about the age range, um, I, I have a lot of friends and, and I mean friends, I don't mean associates, people that I call. I just uh, reached out to a, a friend of mine last night who's 74, checking in on him. You know, I emailed another friend, I mean, a dear friend. He was a mentor of mine, but is just a, a dear friend now um, who's also in his late 60s. And these are people that I will call and just talk to on the phone for 30 or 40 minutes because they're buddies. They're like my peers um, and they're conservative. And so we, we share that ideological foundation. I've become friends. So I do think that because conservatism is rooted in ideas and rationality and not age, identity, gender, when you are a conservative, you you almost belong to a club. It's a club that we want everyone to join. That's the thing. The only the only price of admission is accepting the basic tenets of conservatism, accepting the belief. But when you meet somebody else, and this is true, whether I'm, you know, in, in your dating life, in your social life, in your professional life, if you're a true conservative and you meet somebody else, doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't matter if they're 15 or, or 95, doesn't matter male, female, or anything else that's going on in terms of uh, background, ethnicity, you name it. Uh, you, you have this common ground that is a very powerful um, powerful bond and, and also I would say uh, means of of communicating about all kinds of things conservatives get my humor better than liberals do for example conservatives laugh at my jokes more than liberals do. and I don't mean about political stuff they just share a sensibility with me you know they they have a more I think conservatives generally have a more dry sense of humor you know and anyway that that's how I feel about it Tyler I'm a UPS driver in Minnesota I'm a newer listener and you have quickly become part of my daily routine. I appreciate what you're doing. You're helping to keep me sane out here all day. Also, say a prayer for my wife who took up potty training or toddler during quarantine. There's pee everywhere. Please help. <laughs> Tyler, well, you're not the only one, man. I got to deal with this little dog. I mean, it's not a human being, obviously, but a dog in my apartment that I, I haven't been in charge full time of a dog. I don't know, really ever before. Not this long. Um, and, uh, she is, she, she, this morning she gave two headbutts to the bowl. So the food mix, 
I call it the little triceratops, you know, where she starts headbutting the bowl of food to show me that she's not happy with what I gave her. Just for the record, I gave her roast chicken that I cooked with mine own hands and that I had been eating for days. You know, this is the kind of food that I give this spoiled little pooch. And I don't always get the most gratitude from her because she's very French. Yes, you give me the roast chicken, but do you give me all the love and attention that I need? No. Uh, so Tallulah is difficult. But uh, Tyler, I'm so happy, man, that you are a part of Team Buck and welcome. And uh, hey, UPS driver, please keep delivering those packages. It's the only way we can get stuff. So you, my friend, are one of those people who is holding the line keeping your shield high for all the rest of us. So thank you very much for that. And good luck with the, tell the missus, good luck with the potty training. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continuing here. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Ari, Buck, time in the hut is the highlight of my day. But please, please discourage people from buying baby wipes as an alternative to toilet paper. They are already hard enough to come by right now for those of us with actual babies to wipe. You and Mark rock, shields high and hands washed. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think anybody really, I, I'm not like supporting the mass movement to switch to baby wipes. There were adult bottom wet wipes that were a a trend for a little while, but I think that that fell away mostly because of the stories about um, these fatbergs that grow in the septic system from these wipes. Just they don't dissipate quickly and, and they just build up and they become like the size of, you know, a few city buses. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. I'm just, it's disgusting. So yeah, no, I hear you. And I'm glad you like uh, me and, and producer Mark and you will guys next week. We should have producer Mark back in. We should have all of our clip capability back guests back. But for right now, we just had to make sure this sounds good for Pluto TV. The first looks good. And that we, as long as the internet and the power are on the show continues. So that's where we are. Um, and that's what we had to set up. But that meant that for a couple of days here, we were a little bit light on the technological, technological prowess. You know, I'm not like one of these radio hosts that's got like a mansion and a staff. Oh, excuse me, sir. Your radio studio is ready. It's not like that. I had to make my own studio and uh, I can get my MacGyver on, but it's not easy for me. I'm not somebody that, that comes naturally to Sandy. Love the show. Your calm voice of reason is appreciated. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Uh, well, thank you so much, Sandy. Appreciate it. Um, let's see what we have here. Uh, hold on a second. Katie, hey, Buck. Every day I have thoughts and comments throughout your show I'd like to share. But producer Mark says keep it short. So here's my number one question today. Why has the government essentially shut down the economy but allowed the stock market to tank? Can't they cease trading while businesses are put on hold? Thanks for keeping us safe and warm through the good and the bad. Hang in there. Um, they, Katie, you know, the problem with shutting down the market continuously is that then you're shutting down even more commerce. And there is, there is a school of thought that the market needs to reflect what's actually going. You know, you, there, there needs to be the sell-off that come now. Right now, the sell-off is artificial in the sense that it's caused by a virus. But we were due for a market correction And some people would say that it was inevitable in a sense. So that's why I I guess 
You know, but there are people who are suggesting we should shut the market down for a week or two while everyone's on lockdown. That's an interesting idea. I'd have to talk to somebody who honestly really has a a macro sense of that more so than I do. Stacy, hey, Buck, caught a bit of you and Tulu and thought I'd take a second to congratulate you on your continued success. Can't wait to read the book. I always feel like you're my brother from another mother. Gluten is our enemy. Cruises are no bueno. I've watched Tombstone 100 times and I too hate noise pollution. Anyway, stay healthy and sane in the Big Apple. Look forward to listening to the podcast each day. Well, thank you so much, man. I really, I really do appreciate that, Stacy. We'll get to Peter here. Buck, first glad to have some normalcy here. Thank you and producer Mark for staying on. I think it's six weeks before the curve is at a point where we can say it's almost over. Eight weeks until the return to normalcy. Stay healthy and stay on and shields high. And also medical supplies and medicine should now be seen as national security matter and produced here and only here. All right, then, everybody, please rest, recuperate, take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones this weekend. Stay as locked down as you can. Don't, you know, you can go for a walk. Just obey the guidelines that are out there. Let's not get too crazy about this. Protect our vulnerable population. We'll be back together every day as we always are. Shoulder to shoulder. Shields high.